Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner, and Taylor Swift. Welcome to the glamorous world of influencer marketing. But behind the big sunglasses and the oh-so-not-subtle brand placement is a lot of hard work for some very smart people. So let's talk to one of them. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to The Content Rebels. Ever wondered how much influence influencers actually have? And how do they build their audience or even come up with the right content? Well, wonder no more because on today's episode of The Content Rebels, we're talking to someone who runs a global community for influencers. But the glitz and glamour of influencer life is not where it started for my guest, Danielle Lewis. No, for Danielle, it all started with a fashion blog. In fact, it was through creating her blog, Brisbane Threads, that Danielle saw the potential for online businesses and digital marketing. Now, Danielle is the CEO and co-founder of Scrunch, a global community for creators and influencers. She's also the founder of the Sparks Founders Program that offers courses and coaching for female founders. Thank you so much for having me. And she's on a journey to help influencers and reduce her coffee intake. I'm on I'm on one cup a day, which is so sad because I love drinking coffee. Coffee jokes aside, isn't it interesting that where Danielle began, fashion, blogging and tech, makes for a perfect foundation for what she does now in the creator and influencer space. But there was no way to see that pathway back then. Influencers weren't even a thing. So what I wanted to know from Danielle first up was if she had a sense of a particular pathway, of where she was heading. I had no sense of anything. (laughs) So no, I I literally, it's funny on reflection, it does make a lot of sense. You know, being a blogger 10 years ago, God, it was probably longer than that now. Uh, But being a blogger all of those years ago and it all coming full circle and running a company that is all to do with creators and influencers, it it does make a lot of sense on reflection. Uh, But if I think about the journey, I do really feel like it's just been falling into opportunities or, you know, having a brainwave and trying out new things. Some worked, some didn't work. Um, so yeah, there was no real pathway. It was really just, um, a matter of putting one foot in front of the other and, and getting up when we fall down. Or as I like to say, it's say yes, and then figure out the details later. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm a salesperson by trade. So I always say yes, (laughs) much to everyone's dismay. (laughs) Look at where it's got you. It's a a fantastic journey. (laughs) And how, how did you actually do that jump? What was the first point at which it actually became, you know, influencer marketing in your view. What did it all look like back then? So I was a blogger and that's, so I have a co-founder title. So I actually started Scrunch with another person because I actually had the blog and they had a retail store and I went into the store to sell them advertising on my blog. And that's how we met and then started Scrunch. And you would think that it was a linear path to being an influencer marketing company, but in fact, we did not launch an influencer marketing company first. Um, We launched this fashion discovery platform that went nowhere and was going to be having to build be built on advertising revenue which is a long hard slog 
And so then we built this inventory tracking solution at that time when we were trying to sell it into fashion labels. They were like, no, nah, we have a, an intern that works for free. They'll do that stuff. We won't pay for software. Um, those platforms exist today, though. So had we kept down that path, you never know. And then we did media monitoring. And it was kind of like this funny moment of we had this amazing tech team and then the market shifted where the first blogger made a million dollars. Like it was this big hoo-ha because bloggers existed and I was a blogger, but we didn't really put two and two together. Like Instagram wasn't around yet. It was really blogs, Facebook, Twitter, and then Instagram kind of came out and bloggers were really making serious cash sitting front row in fashion shows. And it was kind of this like moment, like this melting pot where it was like, it just made sense to double down on the influencer marketing piece. So it was pivot, pivot, pivot uh, until we finally, you know, looked at what we had and went, oh my God, I think influencer marketing is the thing. And so what did it actually look like back then? Like you're talking here about a platform and things, were you there as the conduit between people who you were meeting out and about who were those people who were sitting front row and you were helping them to build their business and connect them to brands? Or was it just a pure tech play? Like what did it actually look like? So we service brands probably a little bit better than we service creators. And it's something that we're trying to adjust now, now that we have this concept of the creator economy. Uh, which is going wild. Um, there's a real focus on the fact that anyone can be a creator, but you do have to treat it as a business, not just posting things on Instagram and getting sponsored posts. Because we'd gone through so many iterations of ideas and technology, when we had the idea to become an influencer platform, I was so sick of software developers <laughs> taking so long to build anything that we actually launched the agency arm of Scrunch to kind of service things first. So that's why Scrunch Agency <laughs> exists today, because I was over waiting. <laughs> so what we decided to do was actually deliver everything we wanted to deliver in the software manually. So an agency model. And it's so funny, I reflect on the first customer we had under that model and how much we did for them for like no money because we were kind of trying to mimic it being in the software. It was really interesting though, because essentially we were our own first customers. So we could bring revenue in the door by doing it manually through an agency, but we could also give real-time feedback to our software engineers and tell them exactly what to build in the product. Software technology does take time, but we still have both sides of the business today. So we have people that will come in, use the software, um, self-serve, do their own thing, find influencers, happy days. And then we have other clients who are like, nah, do it all for me. <laughs> so yeah, so both sides still exist, but they're a lot more polished and, and yeah, seamless, I guess, today. Think about it from that perspective. It's actually almost like you you, well, you have created a marketplace and you're matching that supply and demand on both sides. There, It's a complete sidebar, but it's so interesting to me, the rise of marketplace companies. You've got Airbnb, obviously, and Camplify and High Pages and those kind of bigger ones, but actually there is a supply and demand and a need uh, and a desire for for all sorts of different microplaces, even on a, a smaller scale, which you know perhaps this is, but it's yeah, it's a really interesting business model. Totally. And it's really interesting because one of the questions we got from investors in the early days was, how are you going to attract influencers and creators? How are you going to get them and nobody else gets them? And the interesting thing is that's one side where we don't compete with our 
competitors because influencers want as much work as possible. So they'll actually go out and put themselves on 10 platforms and take the different campaigns. So it is really, you're right, having a marketplace is a really interesting strategy because they are all micro businesses and all micro businesses need to make more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. So you're really, you don't have any supply issues on the creator and influencer side. It's really driving the supply on the brand side and the campaign side that's kind of more, you know, from that point when you were doing it pretty manually and you're having to convince brands uh, to even want to talk to influencers. What, What have been the changes that you've seen, the biggest ones, I guess? you know, in the early days of any business, it is all about brand recognition. And of course, in my previous life, when I was in a corporate um, sales job, I had a big brand name behind me. So I'd pick up the phone and be like, hi, and people wouldn't hang up on me. And in the early days of scrunch, (laughs) no one knows you. So there was a lot of hustle and our own marketing strategy, right? Around, you know, creating content, getting people to understand what influencer marketing was and why we were the best person to deliver it. So we have the benefit of time now because we were one of the first ones that were out there. We've built up so much brand recognition. We have so much content on the internet. It is ridiculous. So that's kind of from a business side um, really worked in our favor because now people just find us. But the actual, you know, being very early, we have seen a lot of changes in the influencer marketing industry itself. Obviously, written content was really important and interesting, something that I think people undervalue today. You know, we had the kind of Instagram point in time where it was just all about images and that's what people really cared about. Now video is kind of everything, which is really interesting. People put a lot of stock in Reels and TikTok. And it's kind of interesting because as I reflect on all of those things, it's not like any of those have disappeared. It's just like the fad, what people are kind of chasing. And, you know, right now, as I said, it's video and reels and because a lot of brands aren't actually great content creators. So that's one thing that's amazing about influencers is they can do it all for you. But I think what happens is we get fixated on one trend or fad and everyone's like, we just need reels. And people don't think about what role influencers actually play in the broader marketing strategy. And they kind of forget about all of the different tactics. Let's look at those fads and trends because it's not just influencer marketing. It's marketing in general that's susceptible to a shiny new thing. I remember the heady days when 80% of our budget went to TVCs, direct mail and static display ads. And let's not forget about that weird moment in 2012 when everyone thought it was a good idea to add a QR code to print assets. That certainly died a very quick death before coming back as that must-have accessory of the COVID era. For influencers, as Danielle was saying, it was all about written blogs. Then it became all about photos. And now it's all video, video, video. So I wonder, how can we use this video trend to improve campaigns when coupled with other strategies too? I think that you would be silly to just have it play out on its own. If you're investing money in influencers and their content, it is just silly to leave it as a standalone channel. There's so much that you can do with it. And that's kind of one of the biggest mistakes we see brands make is they kind of have a marketing budget and they divvy it up amongst these different channels and then forget to integrate it. 
So from an influencer point of view, if you pay an influencer to create a piece of content, it shouldn't end when they post. You know, you should be resharing that to all of your <laughs> social channels. You should be putting it, you know, a link to it in your EDM. You should be using it in your social advertising. If it's a high profile influencer, you can use that to get PR off the back of it. There's just so much you can do with influencer content. And it's really interesting because this is where people's mindset, they have a bit of a block with influencer pricing you know they think of an influencer and they go i will pay you based on the number of followers you have which is the standard at the moment but they don't think about the fact that they're getting a piece of content they're getting the reach of the influencer they're getting the ability to put that in every one of their other channels so yes absolutely it can work in isolation but you're right it is so much more powerful when you integrate it into the rest of your marketing strategy and especially like maybe this is a dumb question sorry but can you tell the influencers what you want them to create oh totally yeah that's like, okay yeah my whole my whole thing i say to brands is like it's your money <laughs> yeah your marketing money you tell them what you want to do you get exactly what you want out of your marketing dollars and if the influencer says no there are millions of them on the planet find one that says yes got you okay because then i can imagine you know yeah if you do have a whole bunch of influencers creating content for you that it would be so much more powerful to be leveraging that from a core strategic place where you do actually have assets that complement what they're the messages that you're telling them to put out there on your website you're directing everybody back to a central place where they can actually convert uh, because it's not just sure brand awareness play is great but you've always everything always leads back to conversion really or you run yeah. out of money and you can't do any marketing anymore gosh yeah <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen but yeah absolutely it's really interesting because we haven't like in our strategies for our clients we haven't explored influencer marketing yet but we're talking to clients more and more about it as an amplification channel for the strategies that we are already putting into play. So I've definitely learned something there because I haven't, I haven't been in this world at all. Where do you see it all going in the future? I think the market is maturing. So anyone who has been using influencers for a little while is kind of getting their head around the fact that, yes, they need to integrate the, it into the rest of their marketing strategy. Um, people are coming to terms with the fact that one influencer is not a silver bullet and won't change the world. You do need to have lots of influencers. You need to test it as as per any other marketing channel. You need to test influencer types, influencer content, different call to actions to find out what really does work and convert for your business. And I think also we'll be beholden to what social platform comes out next. As new social platforms come out, new influencers will emerge, new content types will emerge, and the influencers will be the quickest ones to adapt to that. Influencers are always the quickest. Brands kind of tend to wait and see what's going on. I mean, there are some, you know, thought leaders that will jump on first, but brands tend to sit back for a second. And then what influencers actually create and how they partner with brands will be really interesting. So I think sponsored posts still have a place and will always have a place. Um, but we do see more collaborations with brands where they're producing content together, products together, sort of more high value things. So that will be really interesting. Of course, there's AI and these kind of crazy technologies that are coming out. So that will play a role as well. So I think if you're a marketer today and you are working in the influencer space, 
you've got a great career ahead of you because there will be lots of changes. The world is moving social, digital, AI, so there will never be a shortage of something new to learn and implement inside a brand marketing strategy. Gosh, so that, I mean, well, maybe this is different, but, you know, if you had Kylie Jenner, for instance, even just having Kylie Jenner is not the silver bullet. You do still need, you know, diversity in that strategy. Totally. I know, I literally know of a so closely related Kim Kardashian. I literally know of a brand who paid her an exorbitant amount of money to wear their clothes and it did nothing. You know, you've really got to, you've really got to be careful with the high profile influences if you don't know your um, audience. So it all comes down to the fact that it isn't about the influencer, it's about the people they influence. So as a brand, you need to know that the people they influence are going to be your customers or your potential customers because that an influencer is just the conduit, as we said before, to hopefully making some sales. So actually diving in and understanding if it is the right brand fit and if they do have the correct audience that you're targeting um, is super, super important before you pay anyone any money and why it's really good to test with smaller influences until you really do nail what works for your brand and what doesn't. That is also just marketing fundamentals. Totally. 101. <laughs> I know. Because that's exactly what we do too. It's like it actually doesn't matter what the brand wants to say ultimately or how much value they have. If we don't have an understanding of the audience, then it's not going to land. It's like when influencers happened, everyone lost their mind and forgot about what marketing fundamentals were. <laughs> oh, isn't it such a shame that it all comes back to the boring basics time and time again? Marketing 101, it always seems to make sense. And that's why maybe Scrunch has been so successful. But as you've already heard, there are some interesting differences between a general marketing campaign and a campaign using influencers. So let's unpack that idea a bit more. Let's look at all these different types of influencers. Did you even know there are different types? I didn't really. I tried to tell my sister the other day that she's a micro-influencer because she influenced me to listen to a certain podcast, but she was like, I really am not. Don't call me an influencer. But surely those small everyday moments of influence that we all have on our friends and family, they do have a place in all of this. And it turns out that they do, but it's just way more complex than I ever imagined. Hold on to your hat, people. We're about to learn the ABCs of influences. We have nanos, micros, macros, powers, experts, celebrities. So they're kind of like all the categories of influencers. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, they all do have a place. So if you're a brand that wants a lot of content out there with all different faces, with diversity, with different backgrounds, like if you did a shoot, if you had to hire all those models, hire all those venues, photographer, editor, all of those things, super high cost versus just sending out your product to all of these tiny nano influencers. We call this user-generated content now. <laughs> uh, and nanos are amazing for that. And whether they post it or not, some will, some won't, it doesn't matter because you've got this amazing bank of content. Then you have the micros that, yes, are now starting to actually influence the audience or their communities that follow them. So again, you know, super valuable for a lot of content, but we are now starting to get people following your brand account or visiting your website or buying your thing. 
And then when we're kind of getting into the macros, when they do have super engaged audiences, you have tested that they're all correct, then you can really start seeing those sales come through. Experts, you know, they are used for credibility. So, you know, could we have like a nutritionist or a physio or a doctor or a sleep expert, what depends on, you know, your industry, they bring credibility to the brand. They may not have as many followers, but they bring their skill set, their certifications. And then, you know, celebrities are just more ambassador level sort of stuff. So yeah, they all really do have a place. Talking about marketing fundamentals, the first thing to do with an influencer marketing strategy is not look at influencers. It's actually figure out what you want to do, like what do you want to achieve? And only then, once you know that, then that drives the choice of influencer or the influencer style. Can you define for me, or are there actually you know definitions then around all those different categories? Is it a number of followers or how do you know like where would I sit, for instance? So nano, micro, macro power, it's all based on followers. So your nanos, kind of anyone sub 3,000 followers, 3,000 to say, you know, 25,000, 50,000 followers of your kind of micros. When you're getting into the 100,000 territory, that's your macros. And then your 250K and over kind of your power influences. When they're celebrities, they may have 10,000 followers or they might have 100,000 followers, but they have what we call the celebrity tax. (laughs) So because they've been in mainstream media, they will cost more because they kind of have that level of impact. And same with experts, because they've got that legit backing, they may not have as many followers, but they might charge a little bit more than your average micro-influencer as an example. I'd then technically be a nano, I think. My followers are a mix of my friends and family, Mm. as well as then people who follow me from a business and, Mm. you know, content marketing, SEO perspective, but there's not a really clearly defined audience. Whereas I'm guessing those, you know, celebrities that people have been on TV or whatever, they've really got people following them because those people care about what that person has to say. It's not necessarily an account full of their friends and family and that kind of thing. Totally, totally. And who has 10,000 friends and family members? (laughs) But you're right, taking you or I as the example, because we have a business personality, you and I could get a speaking gig and be paid a lot more than just what we would get paid based on our follower numbers. So because of our credibility and our experience in the industry, so we would be considered experts. And by the way, there's no benchmark. So every influencer, you can have two influencers with 10,000 followers and they'll both charge something completely different because it's completely unregulated. Regulated. <laughs> I wonder, do you see any regulation coming in eventually to the industry? Uh, I only see regulation from um, an ad disclosure point of view, which is happening right now. So if you are getting paid or you've received a free product, you need to disclose it to your followers as an ad. But from a pricing point of view, no, I do not see any regulation because technically these are all small businesses. And no one tells us what to charge for a marketing strategy or managing a social media account or whatever. So we can't really tell them what to charge inside their business. These are real supply and demand things. So if you have an influencer who has 10,000 followers and you're comparing two, one's a little bit more expensive, but you love the content that they produce, you might pay the extra because your brand aligns more to their aesthetic. Mm, And of course, then the audience as well. And yeah, the crossover and, you know, especially in terms of experts, we reach out and we build expert panels for our clients, but we're not leveraging them, I think, in 
now learning this stuff in the way that we really should be because we do check whether or not they have an online profile. But from purely content marketing, organic play perspective, it's that we want to see that they have a website page. Uh, and, you know, they have their credentials listed. They have a LinkedIn profile, et cetera, so that Google will follow that link and see when we link to them and see that they have credibility. But of course, we should be going out there and checking what their social media presence looks like. How can we actually leverage them? Can you talk us through some of those strategies that you've put together in the campaigns? What's What's been the winning combo of ingredients there? I think the winning combination of ingredients is having a combination of ingredients. So if your strategy is, you know, it's totally standalone, we want this number of influencers, create a piece of content holding up the product, great. You'll have, you know, 10 influencers holding up your product. You can use that content. Maybe something will happen, but it's integrated strategies that work the best. So thinking about the audience that you want to connect with and thinking about different influencer types that might actually resonate. So don't just go, it has to be a parenting or mummy influencer. Okay. Can we actually leverage health and wellness and travel influencers? Can we actually look at three different types of influencers and then have them create all different types of content? So um, static images, carousels, reels, TikToks, stories, because we're tracking theoretically. And then we can basically take all of that content, put it into our owned social channels, put it into our ad strategy, and then actually reflect on the campaign. So what went well, what didn't go well, and then use that data to do the next iteration. I always use this example of like lipstick, right? Maybe this lipstick has some fabulous nourishing quality. And it's like, okay, you know, we can actually pitch that to busy mums. We can pitch it to travellers who, you know, you get cheap flips on your plane when you're travelling or, you know, your health and wellness person who's out for a jog. Like you can take one product and think about its unique selling proposition and how different types of influencers might be able to angle that towards their communities. Because if you haven't used an influencer before, you really don't know what's going to work. You know, I liken it to the Facebook ads, you know, you wouldn't put all of your budget in on day one with one piece of content and one caption, one call to action. You'd be testing all of this different stuff. It's exactly the same with influencers. Test different influencer types, different content, different calls to action and see what works, but then make sure it's integrated into the rest of your strategy. So so the companies or the brands that do that, they are the ones that always keep going. And you see them like, you know, there's a reason why HelloFresh is everywhere. They're always on. We call it an always on strategy versus just individual campaigns because they go through that testing cycle. So yeah, it's those big brands that understand the value of testing and then learn from that. They're the ones that we see with the most success. I was was talking to a, a potential client yesterday, actually, who this would just be so perfect for this kind of a strategy because um, they had done a whole bunch of audience research and they had, you know, this beautiful deck that had all of these audience insights and they were saying, right, so we really need to work out how we can connect with this one particular type of audience who we can clearly see are the audience who purchase and use the product the most. And I came back to them and challenged a bit and went, that yes, historically, that has been the audience who has used and bought your product the most. But actually, this product is highly relevant to, for the type of category of person that I am. <laughs> and you don't, you don't see that in the research, in this traditional research, because you haven't tested it, you haven't made the product attractive to them. 
And, you know, we were talking about a content marketing strategy and, and getting that out there, which of course would involve big social amplification. But I can see how really incorporating an influencer marketing strategy as part of that, because then they could test at a relatively low cost, definitely lower than a big above the line campaign or a big out of home campaign or whatever. They could test, does this even actually play with that audience? Exactly. Exactly. On to influencers and creators themselves. Obviously, their their whole industry, as you talked about, has shifted and the expectations on them. There, and there are influencers at all different levels. What are you seeing those influencers and creators doing today that is really good and they could, should keep doing? But do you have any advice as well around stuff that perhaps they shouldn't necessarily be doing or they could kind of let go by the wayside? The most successful creators are the ones that see themselves as a business. So they've got professional email set up. They have a media kit they respond to briefs in a timely manner. They do what they said they were going to do. They follow their brief. All of those kind of things that I think as traditional business owners, we think you have to do it. <laughs> um, but, you know, not all creators think of themselves as business owners. Um, and the ones that actually have a strategy as well. So as business owners, they not only need to, you know, go out, get sponsored posts, interact with agencies like mine or platforms like mine. They also need to think about their own marketing, right? So they've got to be producing content. They've got to be building audiences. They've got to be thinking about collaborations with other influencers to grow. And it is really could be a full-time job. And some influencers do get to that level where they can actually quit their day jobs um, and make a full-time living, which is, I think it's just so cool that we live in a time where you can do that, uh, where you can monetize your influence and what you care about. I think that's spectacular. Um, but then there are other influencers who don't think that way. It is just the lack of professionalism and, and the lack of thinking about what marketers need. So we run a couple of brand accounts and influencers who want to work with the brand will literally send a DM saying, hey, want to collab? <laughs> And it's kind of like, well, why should I? So what you've done is you've just made more work for me. I've got to go to your profile. I've got to run your analytics. I've got to figure out all of these things about you. You're, you have just created work for me rather than coming to me and saying, hey, this is what I'm about. This is how many followers I have. This is what the audience makeup looks like because they have their analytics in their Instagram account. This is examples of content that I've produced for other brands. Um, these are my rates. You know, if there's an opportunity, would love to do something. Everything I need is there. They are the influencers I will prioritize working with because everyone's so busy, right? Um, so if you make someone's job harder for them, then you are less likely to actually get a collaboration. We even get emails from people saying, hey, would love to do some work for you. Thanks, said influencer. And it's like, I don't even know what your Instagram account is. Like, I can't even look at your Instagram account because you've just sent an email from, you know, an email address. Yeah, it's not just one click away now. Oh my God, yeah. it's, it blows my mind. Yeah. So even if you have it as a side hustle, treat it as a business and think about the fact that the brands you're working with are super busy and as much as you can do to sell yourself and make their lives easier, that is how you'll win more work. I love that that's what the advice is. It's not about, you know, create more videos or make sure you're across Lemonade or TikTok or whatever. Again, it comes back to, to the basics. Business basics. Boringly mm, so. Mm. <laughs> 
Sorry, everyone, for this all the boring insights today. <laughs> I love it though. I mean, because yeah. it's so it's so true, right? And what what I just love about what I've, I'm learning doing this podcast as I'm speaking to people from all the different aspects of marketing, all the different disciplines of marketing, is that it all comes back to the fundamentals, and we're all just building strategies and creating experiences from those those fundamentals, whether they're marketing fundamentals or business fundamentals, but it actually doesn't matter. Like the industry, I think sometimes we all feel, especially this year, 2023, just feel the weight of the change and the progression and the innovation. And it feels big and heavy and everything all the time, but actually it's still all the same. It's still, the fundamentals are all still there. We're just expressing it in different ways. Totally. And I think that there's this this feeling that we need to have the biggest, best brainwave idea, or we need to go viral. If only we could work with the influencer that has a million followers, everything would change. But no, it is exactly what you just said. It is getting the basics right and showing up and doing the boring stuff day after day after day. Yeah. And because then, do you know what, when you do get to the point where you can afford that million follower influencer or, you know, all of your nano influencers actually go viral, you know, if you don't have the boring bits done, if you don't have the great experience on your website, if you don't have the content on your site and just the normal organic content in your social channels pumping and happening so that when people do land on you, they're like, oh yeah, this meets my expectation or even it exceeds my expectation, then it's all going to be for nothing. Totally. It's so interesting that you say that we get approached by brands all the time who say, hey, I want to do an influencer campaign. And they might be like, I want to invest $10,000 and they don't have an Instagram account. And we're like, we actually can't take your money. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because if we did, it wouldn't do anything because you're, you don't have your own house in order. If you did actually apply marketing fundamentals, if you did take the time to test, if you did reinvest in top performers, then you could actually see a tangible ROI on your marketing spend. And Because that's the biggest question I get asked is, is, is there an ROI? Will influencers work for my business? And the answer is yes, but. So absolutely that you can produce an ROI using influencers just like any other marketing channel, but you've got to be willing to put in the work and it won't be the first influencer that does it for you. It'll be that repeat person that you know works. There's a marketing statistic that's like you need 16 odd touch points for a customer to actually convert or for a potential customer to convert into a paying customer. So the idea that the brand actually takes influencer content and puts that into their EDMs, onto their, to all their different social channels. So when the follower of the influencer visits the brand account, they see that content again and they just reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. That's, I think, what tips over such successful sales is because they're seeing that repeat content. Hold up, let's take a breather. So despite all the different ways an influencer can reach out to their audience, at the end of the day, success comes down to integration and repetition. It's so simple in some ways, but as we all know, of course, the world is a complex place. So to really make it work, a client needs to know their audience. They need to know their data. They need to know that product placement can make a big impact, but only when it's done as part of an overall strategy. 
where we know it's making it to the right audience and they're receiving the message in the intended way. It's actually really clever and and the ability for brands to get exposure just by giving away what they're already selling is so cost effective. So, influencer marketing. What have I learned so far? First of all, I've learned it's definitely over the top, but it's also kind of subtle. It's kind of new, but it's also based on some very old marketing fundamentals. And that paradox is about to continue because what happens when your influencer gets too busy to influence? And what role is there for AI in any of this? We are only seeing people scratch the surface. So um, absolutely people are using AI for caption generation, for blog content. Um, Yes, people are posting some images, but more of a hey, I used an AI to generate five headshots. So kind of jumping on a few little trends, no one really using it seriously. But then we're seeing a couple of people really push the boundaries. So I guess an influencer, can't remember her name, can't remember where she's from, probably the US. But basically she's created an AI version of herself and you can chat with her for a dollar a minute. Now, what people chat about (laughs) can be left to the imagination. But she made $70,000 in the first week. Oh, my goodness. Totally. So, and look, it's not just as simple as, oh, I created an AI version of myself. Like there was technology, there's engineers, all that kind of stuff that actually went into creating this. They had to train the AI to speak like her. and But that to me signifies, oh, where is this actually going? So, you know, there's so many influencers who in the early days, they can reply to the DMs. There's only a handful of, you know, comments coming through. They can kind of really interact one-on-one with all of their community. When they get up to the 100,000 million followers, they just can't do that anymore. But people still have the appetite to speak with their favorite influencer. So perhaps AI versions of influencers may be a thing down the line. Um, But we are so early at the moment, I think. I was thinking about it the other day, right? So we've implemented AI into the Scrunch Marketing Agency. But also, like, you know, when we were out pitching Scrunch in the early days, like the technology platform, like we use some AI features to um, find and recommend influencers. And it was kind of, I think, a thing in the tech world where we were getting over saying, oh, yeah, we have AI in our platform. But now I've just realized that it's now hit mainstream. So I didn't kind of see it because I was a tech founder. I just thought, oh, yeah, everyone knows about AI. It's I'm getting over talking about it. People think it's a gimmick. Now it has gone mainstream where anybody can get value out of a chat GPT. Mm. It'd be cool if there was some version of a GPT, a generative pre-trained transformer, uh, with some artificial intelligence interface into it that where influencers could potentially leverage it to respond to all of those comments as if it's them. And look, we have bots today, but it's not the same. So I think the intelligence is a really thing to think about and just delineate the two. Because, you know, everyone gets those stupid bot comments to like, promote it on, DM, you've won a shared gift card. Like that is right now the simplest version of commenting and replying. Um, when we can make it smart and and reply like it's that actual person, wow, that will be, that'll be a game changer. Can you imagine that? AI influencers? I can already see that market and that opportunity where you'd pay top dollar for a real person. I told you it was all something else. This idea that AI can imitate influencers is truly astounding. 
and potentially quite creepy. But here we are in a world where people holidaying in caravans or sunbaking on a beach can influence what others buy. But it's kind of always been that way, I guess. It's just the technology that has allowed the space for it to grow. I've learned so much from Danielle. The potential for influencers in a campaign is enormous. So I'm going to head to scrunch.com right now to check out Scrunch365. See what I did there? I'm trying to influence people to go to Danielle's business by just casually mentioning that I'm going to do it too. That'll work, right? You're heading there right now? Oh dear, influencer marketing. It feels pretty fun to me, but also a beautifully serious space where when it comes to impact, the sky really is the limit. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to The Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Awabakal and Darkenjund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions.